Jesus talking about his return says this in Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And I highlight that because the angels want to know. There are things that have been hidden and will only be revealed as God allows them to be revealed. Some things only the Father knows, the Son doesn't know, some things the angels don't know, and it's all very interesting. Now we're in verse 7 of, of Daniel 12. <clears throat> the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. So typically when you're offering an oath, you lift one hand into the air but in this case, it's a very solemn pledge, and we'll see here in just a moment, that he's invoking the name of God as, as, he, as he makes this pledge. Okay, so this is what's going on here. He lifted his left hand toward heaven, his right hand and his left hand, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And this verse here is the one that captivated me this week. I think I just might have to come back here sometime and, and just teach on this because it so impacted me. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all of these things will be completed. So we should be familiar now with the expression time, times, and half a time, time being one year, times being two years, half a year, obviously half a year, for a total of three and a half years. Whether that's literal or figurative, we don't know. The, the, the great tribulation is said by God that it will last seven years, with, which is an, ex, an expression of completeness. But we know that God is going to cut it short for the sake of his own people. So what this time, times, and half a time is talking about is the last half of the seven years of tribulation after the Antichrist has broken a covenant that he makes with God's people only to bring harsh persecution against them. Okay, so we've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about... Uh, the abomination that causes desolation. We've talked about uh, sacrifices being halted at the altar. In fact, we're going to get to those as we read the text, so I'll just hold off on that uh, for just a moment as we work forward. But this verse here about after, when, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, God set apart ones, broken, at the end of themselves, worn down. This is what's going on here. You see, God had warned the Jews that if they ever forgot him, largely recognized by chasing after false gods, false gods that are rooted in exaltation of self and arrogance, that they would suffer many things. Very interesting. This week, I had the opportunity to watch a discussion of non-believers talking about the things of God. A Christian had initiated this, a few Christians, 
And, and some of the things that they brought up just fascinated me. In fact, I found it very interesting that a large number of these people in the discussion were once a part of churches. In fact, they even had experiences with God in these churches. And they've walked away, either becoming atheists or agnostic because there was some kind of disconnect or they missed it somewhere along the way. And one of their questions was, if God is real, why are, the, are, are, the, are there all these religions? And what we need to recognize is there is only one true God. And then there's a deceiver. And what the de- deception is rooted in is the idea that it's all about me. And, and if you do religious comparisons, I, I believe with all my heart that what you'll discover is that the difference between Christianity and all other religions of the world is that all other religions boil down to performance, whereas Christianity at its heart and at its essence is about dependence. Now, I have to say that Christianity gets messed up along the way. And when Christianity gets messed up along the way, Christianity becomes more about performance than it does about dependence. It's a very important word to hear. That somehow we use religion to oppress people, to cause them to maybe to keep coming to church, to keep giving, whatever it is, but that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I have come that they might have life, they might have it to the full. One of my great all-time revelations was teaching Colossians at Ravencrest. And thank God for our Ravencrest students leading worship today. Could you give glory to God for them? Yeah. And I came to... I came to... Philippians 2, verse 6, that essentially says you started with Christ, carry on with Christ. I don't think I'm going to get finished my teaching today. I think we're going to have to come back to this one the Sunday after Easter. I'm sorry. Why am I apologizing? (laughs) Deal with it. We'll start James a little later than I had thought because my spirit's trembling this morning. Chapter 2, verse 6, Colossians. You start with Christ, carry on with Christ. And and then I discovered there was a bookend, and the bookend was actually in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Therefore set your affections on things above where Christ is seated on, on the throne. Set your affections on things above, not on earthly things. So you've got to take out the the chapter break sometimes when you're studying the Word because they weren't there. They were put in there later, you understand. The teaching is is consistent. And if you follow through, bookend one, you start with Christ, carry on with Christ. That is the essence and the distinction of Christianity. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore set your affections on things above where Christ is seated on the throne. Set your hearts on things above 
not on earthly things. And I, I think there's a word or two there that I'm not getting perfectly, but I think the essence is there and I'm honoring what it's saying. So what's in between all that? And, and it, it just fascinates me what I discovered because what is in between the you started with Christ, never finished with Christ, and set your affections in between is a description of why there's all these religions in the world. And it's a description of performance. It's a, it's a description that 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 talks about a religion where you're imposed with all kinds of 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 holy days of expectations it even says do this don't do that does that sound familiar to anybody see and i think this is where our children are their their tastes are set on edge against god because religion kills. But it all culminates right at the end there of chapter 2, after it goes through, okay, start with Christ, finish with Christ, set your affections on things above, then it gives all these descriptions of religious duties that, well, to get to the end of chapter 2, and after this description of religious duty, it makes this very strange statement that if you're not honest in your walk, you're going to miss it. What it says there is this. None of this. None of what? Religious performance. Which is a? Hurt somebody. Okay, journey, which is a... Religious journey, yes. None of this will deliver you from even a hint of sensuality. Huh. That is fascinating to me. (laughs) You know I was destined to be a priest, don't you? I mean, I'm a second, second son. Italian Catholic household. Second sons in Italian Catholic households destined to be a priest, right? I was told that from a child. But then I became deeply spiritual because I met Jesus, right? And I sensed this call. My dad said I became a protestant, right? He starts meeting with this priest. He's trying to figure out how to rescue his son who's supposed to be a priest from Protestantism. <laughs> and uh, so, so, you know, my dad and I became estranged. estranged. It, it changed over time. Fortunately, we had a, a meeting the Thanksgiving before he passed away, and it was very good and very healing. But somewhere along the way, my dad said to me, the reason you're a pastor in a Protestant church is, you got to love the sound of babies. I'll take that sound over a bunch of old people changing their dentures anytime. Yeah, you just got to love them. Thank Thank God for crying. You are so welcome in here. Come back and cry some more. 
The reason you became a Protestant pastor instead of a Catholic priest was because of sex. <clears throat> well, I appreciate some of you going, yeah. <laughs> Thank God for attraction. Thank God for the way he makes things. Celebrate that business, you know. So, so I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't say this, but I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I have this high call of God. And, and you guys all know that, that I kind of smirk at the idea of the pastor having the highest calling. Because it undermines the highest calling that's on each and every one of you. You are all called to the priesthood. And that's, that's why God called me to this position, is to let the church know that one of you impacted my life. In fact... I'm going to have another leadership session. I am so all over the map here. Let's get a. This is why I manuscript, you know, boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. I'm going to have a leadership training here in a few weeks. And unfortunately, tradition again, some of you hear the word leadership and you think of boards. You think of deacon boards and elder boards. But when I think of leadership training, I think of influence. It's what I'm called to. It's a call to help every one of you recognize that you are salt and light in the world and God wants to use you to influence others. And my understanding is that even the, the most introvert among us is impacting five people on a regular basis whether we realize it or not. So when I say that we're doing leadership training, what I'm talking about is bringing out the influence that's in you. I'm not trying to get you on a board or committee, okay? So understand that. So this high call, but the high call, you, are, you have become a, a Protestant because of sex, undermining the spiritual nature of what I'm feeling in my heart. That's what I felt, okay? In fact, after my dad passed away, sometime later, I'm sitting down with my entire family, and we're having one of those light times where we're all into it and enjoying each other, which in my household is kind of rare and nice, because with a bunch of Italian women in there, everything's intense and major. <laughs> and, and that's the way I'm wired. Everything's a big deal. And so I, I said, to, I said to, to my siblings and my mom, I said, can you believe it? Dad said that the reason I'm a preacher in a Protestant church is because of sex. The whole room got quiet. And then somebody said, well, everybody knows that's true. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Really? That's the way you're deciphering my call? <laughs> Oh, dear. Is anybody feeling awkward? <laughs> Religious activity will not deliver you from a hint of sensuality. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. I don't know how it gets so perverted other than there's an en enemy who wants to pervert it. And when it becomes perverted, it becomes a flesh that drives us rather than the Spirit of God that drives us. 
And so much of the tension we feel in our Christian experience is how do we get victory over the flesh? And we defeat ourselves? Well, the enemy defeats us and keeps us oppressed because rather than celebrating the gift that God has given us and using it in the proper place, it gets all corrupted and therefore destroys. That's the way the enemy works. He takes good things, turns them around. Things that were intended to bless, he turns them around and he uses them to destroy So then we come to church, and religious leaders, understanding this, begin to impose all kinds of rules and laws. This is how you do this. In fact, I'm concerned right now because I I love these churches that are reaching people like like crazy, and I understand why we want to be relevant and stuff. But what I'm discovering is a whole new legalism. I was part of it in, in Dallas because now we have these psychological sermons that say, here's five keys to a happy life. Here's five keys to, uh, to a happy marriage. Here's five keys to being an effective parent. On and on the list goes. So if you get five things every Sunday and you go to church 52 weeks a year, how many things do you have to do by the end of the year to have a fulfilling life? Well, maybe 300 things, right? But Scripture says, you started with Christ, Therefore, carry on with Christ and all the disciplines and religious practices, even reading your scripture and praying, thinking that's going to give you victory, isn't going to give you victory. It'll help you, mind you. I mean, Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. But ultimately, what it's about is a proper connectedness to Jesus Christ who is your way to God. And if it doesn't point you there, but instead now all of a sudden you're worshiping the book or you're worshiping the practice, then you're missing Jesus. Where do we start? How do we even get here? When the power of the people has been finally broken, all of these things will be completed. You know, we we tend to think that Christ is going to come when the church is strongest, when it's at its best. But what this angel is discovering is something completely different. What he's discovering is when God's people are finally at the end of themselves, that's when God will come. Getting off that rat race of determination, of, of what's the word that I've been using to describe myself lately that I'm trying to get victory over? Strife. Coming to the end of striving. Of trusting Him. The distinction between religion and Christianity is exaltation of self or exaltation of Him. We run the race, so we'll receive a crown. But do we understand that ultimately we throw the crown down at his feet? Why? Because we couldn't run the race unless he were empowering us to do so. So it's coming to this place, 
And, and, and it contradicts everything in, in our culture. Thank God for our American culture. Thank God for our rugged individualism. Thank God for, for our, our motivation that has built such an in, incredible nation. I mean, all of that stuff is good. It's, it's been nice to live here where I've, I've lived. But is it taken away from God? Have we forgotten him in the process? And would it not be better to have it all stripped away from us in order that we would call out on the name of God rather than have everything and miss God? What are we so afraid of when at last the people of God have been fully broken? That's when Jesus is going to come. And, uh, yeah, there was a time in my Christian experience, I mean, before I was even a Christian, I came to the end of myself. I came to the end of Michael DeScoli. I was, I was broken. Yeah, those are hallelujahs. Hear it? Hear that, baby? Hallelujah, baby. Go, baby. Yeah, sing it to God. It's awesome. Yay. I came to the end. I cried out in the name of the Lord, and the Lord met me there. But somehow... From that moment on, I had to start performing. If I'm a Christian, I have to live up to it because the world's watching me and they're saying, oh, a Christian, another one of those hypocrites. Now I'm being measured. I have to perform, perform, prove to them I'm not one of those hypocrites. Right? But right here today, I'm going to tell you, Michael DeScully wears a mask in areas of his life just like everybody else. Right? But I'm being honest about that mask because my understanding is that if I walk in the light as he is in the light, that it's there we have fellowship with one another and all this pretense that everything is honky-dory and our kids witnessing it, like you're one way at church and another way at home, all it does is set their teeth on edge against the things of God. So when at last the people of God have come to the end of their strength, that's when it's going to happen. I came to a place of brokenness before God. Have you come to a place of brokenness before God? Have you come to a place of brokenness before God, and then all of a sudden you find yourself no longer broken before God, and you don't even know what it looks like? Because it's at the place of brokenness that God is able to do his best work. Why is it that we come to faith in Christ And we understand it's faith alone that saves us. But once we come there, then all of a sudden it's perform. And right there's the devil's playground because of the degree that we can't be honest with one another is the degree that he's got his hold on us in that private place, that place where he can continue to oppress us and destroy us. When at last, the holy people have come to the end of their strength. I'm I'm stuck on the fact that I just said, I'm a hypocrite. 
and some of you are stuck there too. Well, here's the deal. We're hypocritical when we stop denying what we are and therefore forget who he is, okay? We're not hypocritical in the sense that we've come to the place that we've said, I can never be good enough, I can never be acceptable enough, and therefore I depend on him. And that's what we're talking about. See, it's about this repentant attitude that says, except for the, by the grace of God, go I. Yeah. Yeah. Are you at the end of yourself? Are you at a place? All of it. This messed up world. Hold on a second. Go to verse 9, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel had a question. We're going to come back here and we're going to put this together in a couple of weeks. But I just need to go here. In response to Daniel's question about the outcome of, of the end times, The man in linen replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So when God's holy people come to the end of themselves... It's talking about a refining process. It's articulated right here that there's a purifying that needs to go on, a refining that needs to go on, that says all the tests of this world, all the disappointments of this world, all the things that leave us empty in this world, like this pilot who gets on a plane after his girlfriend dumps him, right, and brings a plane into into the ground. All of the terrible things of this world are going to be redeemed by God, and in the end, they will either make us bitter or they will make us better. They will either drive us away from God because God didn't perform the way we thought He should, or they will drive us to God because somehow in the midst of Him, we are able to trust Him. And the best goal is to allow the stuff of this world to begin to refine us into the very image of God. Okay, now cross-reference that over to Malachi, or the great Italian prophet Malachi, chapter 3. And verse 2, where it says this. Look at this. We don't have any PowerPoint, but you can, uh, you can turn there. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So it's right before Matthew. Okay, that Matthew is an easy book to find. But who can endure the day of his coming, the day of God's coming? 
Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Why? Look, here's why. Because then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. In other words, then at last, God will have people who know how to worship God for the right reasons, and there's nothing of self to be gained there. And it goes on. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. God is doing a work in us to make us acceptable in his presence, and he's going to use the fire to do it. I love the imagery of the gold mines in Colorado. If you've ever taken a tour of a gold mine, you can probably remember going down deep with with, uh, the guide, and he takes out his flashlight at one point, and he says, right there is a vein of gold, right? And you look at that vein of gold, and you think to yourself, wait a minute, that doesn't look anything like the, the jewelry I wear. Why? Because that gold is mixed with impurities. And we call impurities because it's stuff that takes away from the nature of the gold left to itself. So what do they do? They mine out the gold. They put it in vats and the gold is heated. What happens when it's heated? Well, the gold is the heaviest of the composition there. So the gold settles to the bottom. The impurities begin to surface. When the impurities surface, they can be scooped off and they can be discarded. And as they go through that process, the gold shines more and more through the process of refining. But guess what? The gold has to go through the fire. We are in this mess of a world because we chose to go our own independent way. As a result, we were thrown into the fire, but God's redeeming it all, so in the fire, He will refine. He will refine us to prepare us to stand in His presence, but in that, we'll either get better as we trust God, or we'll get bitter as we grow angrier with God. You didn't come through for me the way that you should. That didn't go the way I should. You said in your Bible that if I do this, you would do that. It's like we're putting money in the machine. We turn the dial and this is what should come out, but it's not coming out. What's wrong with you, God? Therefore, I choose to reject you. Or we can be broken. And we can say, Lord, I don't like it. But I certainly don't want what I deserve. I want your grace. Are you broken? Are you broken? Do you see your need of a Savior? And that really is the whole crux of Palm Sunday. I didn't even realize what I was doing here. People shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes with the name of the Lord on Sunday. Shouting, crucify him by the end of the week. Why? Because you didn't do it the way you're supposed to. And therefore, you're unworthy to claim what you've claimed. That's the spirit that operates in opposition to Christ. What's the key to victory over your flesh? Celebrate the gift that God has given you. Realize the enemy has perverted it. Realize you're not going to beat it on your own strength and whatever process it takes to get you there, it's part of the refining fire. 
Let God do his great work. And he promises. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you, a refining work, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When at last, his holy people have been broken. Broken. Sounds like a bad thing. But broken horses get a lot done. Yeah. So where have I confused you? I did not. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit to guide. You started with Jesus. Did you get that? Carry on with Jesus. I have nothing to proclaim to you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? He did for you. He lived the life you couldn't live to die the death that you should have died. Church has imposed on us all kinds of duties and stuff that only is oppressing us. But God has a plan of liberty that we can actually do His work in great joy and victory and experience victory along the way. I hope you heard those things. So Lord, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Thank you. Thank you for taking us through this process. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you do have a plan of completing us, of purifying us. Forgive us, Lord, for what we make it to reducing it to nothing more than human effort and just another confusing religion in the world. Help us to know you above all else. Help us to know you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm going to invite our...